Good morning, everybody. Uh, hopefully, hopefully y'all don't run out and leave right now, David. I don't want them to leave right now. I'd like for them to at least hang around a little bit longer. So stay with us. You know, I am glad to be here. You're probably sitting there. I've seen this bald-headed dude in here a few times and don't know much about him. Well, today I'm going to give you my story. I'm going to give you three stories today. We'll be in Acts chapter 26 and we'll get there. And I can, boy, talk about stories. I know David's father. I used to serve as a church with that. You know, I know when you were that little. And do I know stories? So if you need stories about David and especially his, his brother. Oh yes, I got one for him. Yep. And, and, and his dad. So but uh, I'm Mark Shaw. I originally grew up in Oxford, Alabama. How many know where Oxford, Alabama is? Okay. Know where Oxford Lake is? You probably walk right by my house. Because if you walk around Oxford Lake, there's a little field out there in the very far back of it. I live three houses down for that. That's where I grew up in Alabama. And... Uh, as we get ready to start these stories, next few slide tells us what we're going to be doing the next few weeks at a Eureka Baptist Church. We're going to be talking about Jesus, community, and missions. And my story today kind of falls into that about missions and about knowing God and growing closer to Jesus and about the community He gives to us. So, Listen to these stories, and you'll see how all this palms and affects your life. For that's what I want it to be about. That's a picture of my family, uh, and that is my wife Sharon, and that is my daughter Mary Ann. And I'm in the far back, that's why I gave you that picture, so I'd be in the far, far back, so you wouldn't have to look at that thing. But my story grew, started before, before I became a Christian. I grew up in Oxford, Alabama. Uh, was born, well, I was born in Anniston, but I grew up in Oxford, okay? Because uh, that's where the uh, regional medical center was. And my mama worked there. She was a nurse, and my dad worked at Bynum. So he worked at the military base there at Bynum. Uh, my grandfather was raised, and he grew up at in New Orleans. Came here went during the, before the war. Met my grandmother from Anniston. They got married, and for some reason they moved back after traveling all over the world. And he was a veteran of World War II. He fought in the uh, Pacific Theater. And so we, I've got a few stories about that. But I was raised with them. We lived right across the street from them. So my grandparents were right there. And... My childhood was nothing awful, nothing eventful, except being a teenager, growing up uh, in Oxford. Uh, I basically, my parents got me into ball, so basically when I got ready to play a ball game, I just walked up the hill, there was the ball fields, okay? That's how close I was to them. So if you played tournaments and all and been up there on the ball fields, that's where I grew up. I played baseball, basketball, 
football. It was a round season. We got totally involved. I grew up in the school system of Oxford. Uh, have many great friends that I still communicate with and talk to. Facebook's been eye-changing, so I find out what all of them's doing and where we're all going. So <clears throat> that's uh, kind of my life before Christ. But my mama always took me to Bible study on Sunday morning. I grew up at Lakeview Baptist Church, and so they, I would say I got drug because I was a kid that got up. I grew up, uh, I'm a classic horror guy. And when I say classic, it's not Jason and Freddy. Mine is the Frankenstein movies, the Bride of Frankenstein, the original Dracula. And right now, oh, they're bringing him back, Godzilla. Okay, Godzilla was a big, big hit. And for some reason, on Sunday mornings, there they came on with the TV because they only had four channels back then. But we've come a long way. But uh, on that TV was basically... You got a Godzilla movie or what they call Gameron. Anyone remember Gameron? He was a flying turtle that shot out fire, and he, he would go rescue people and all that. So that's what I would watch Sunday morning. And about halfway through it, it's time to go to church. No, Mama, I want to finish my movie. No, you're going to church. So I got drugged to church, and at church, I was kind of the shy guy, and as a shy guy, I basically sit in the back, and I learned, and I listened, and I learned about Jesus and who he was. I said, man, this guy is great. I like him, and I learned he was pure. He was no sin, and I knew I was not that perfect and all, but about third grade, I got that lesson that kind of floored me that he died. I said, you've been talking about this great guy, all these things, and now you're going to tell me he died? And he died a horrible death on a cross? I had trouble comprehending that. But they said later on, during Easter, he came back to life. And so I said, wow. But as time goes on, I kept going to church, kept being drugged to church. wasn't my choice, but I was there for a Bible study every week. And then there was vacation Bible school in the summer, and guess what? You're going to vacation Bible school. So I went to vacation Bible school. I got artwork on my wall still to this day of a thing, of a craft I made when I was in third grade. It says, Jesus is Lord. So I learned a lot about Jesus. But... I got to a point when I became a teenager now, I want to do my own thing. And then finally I learned that, hey, Jesus died for me. And it came real to me. And I realized how important Jesus was. That he came and he died so I could have eternal life. And eventually... I started going to church because we'd usually, because I was a 
hyperactive kid. That's a ADDH, whatever they want to call it now, but they called it hyperactivity. I couldn't see it, okay? I still can't see it. You see me walking back and forth. So, but at that point, <clears throat> I realized I needed to make a commitment. I needed to go down there and tell Wayne Grubbs, he was the pastor at that time, and I said, Brother Wayne, I need to know how to be saved. And he said, you pray, tell him you confess your sin, you ask Jesus to forgive you, and he will change your life. So I did. I made that commitment that Sunday when I was 15 years old, and wasn't, wasn't no fireworks, no massive celebration, no major change, because if beforehand... If there was any badness in me, my mama beat it out of me, okay? Just let you know that. She would beat it out of me. So I was scared of mama too. As mama and Jesus, make sure I stayed straight. So <clears throat> as, as I grew up, I started going more and more to church and learning more about him, growing closer to him. So that's how I met Jesus. So you see, my life before Jesus wasn't all that bad. Typical teenager back in <clears throat> the 1980s. Okay, that far back. Well, and most of y'all don't even remember that decade. Most of you don't even remember the 90s. Any of y'all remember the 90s? Okay, some of you don't. Okay, but I grew up in the 80s. But that's how I met him. I made that commitment, and I said, I'm going to follow him. Here's the big part is how he makes my life meaningful now. How is he making it meaningful to me at this point in my life? Well, it's a long story because I've got long, a lot of long years. Because when I was 18 years old, we went to a trip, mission trip to New Orleans, worked at Rachel Sims Baptist Mission, worked there in the playground of uh, one of the projects, uh, I felt a call to ministry saying, hey, this is what you need to be doing. You need to be working with kids in your life, working for people, sharing that message. So I said, okay. Now, what was I going to do with it, how I was going to do it? I didn't know what it was. I just knew what God was wanting me to do. And uh, Dwayne knew was our youth minister then. And he kind of guided me, and I ended up at Baptist. It was uh, basically Baptist Bible Institute when I started. It ended up being, uh, uh, while I was there, Baptist Theological College. And now it's the Baptist Florida College, okay? It's changed completely. Three different names changed. But that's where I got my ministry started, there. Got a bachelor in theology, and then I went on to New Orleans Seminary. That, yep, I felt that call to go back to New Orleans. I ended up working in an inner city church, working there, going to school in New Orleans, stayed at the seminary, and while I was there, I met that wonderful lady in the middle, Sharon Jennings, and I met her. We got together. We got married and there started our journey of going from about four or five states, working in churches, 
all this time as not as a pastor but as a minister of education and other activities from children preschool to youth and and all and so at that time we were going and at one point in time i was working and we had our daughter mary ann you saw her she's now 25 she's gonna be 26 this year she's getting old i have to remind her of that and she's still in san angelo texas and that's where she's at that's why she's not with me but uh we she grew up in Hartsville, Alabama, because that's where the church I served at that point. I was there 11 years, and I served there. I served churches in Georgia, in Louisiana, and so, and of course, I've served many churches in Alabama. So, let's, but at one point in time, I was working at here in, in a local place in Steelcase in Athens, Alabama, and God called us to Texas. Now, my wife, where I met, we met in New Orleans, but she was originally from Texas. So she felt, man, I am glad to be going back to Texas. Haven't been, I've been so far away, it takes about 15 hours to drive to her parents. Now we were going to be just four hours away. Now, Texas, when you say Texas, that's like driving from here to the Gulf Coast and you haven't even reached the halfway to da to where to get to Dallas where I lived was four hours in Texas to get across the country, the state of Texas it takes you all day all day so you got that issue with t it says so Texas is huge folks you can put Alabama in about three or four times okay so but we we lived in Texas but we were closer to our parents just four hours away and that's when life changed because we served this church for two years and then all of a sudden she was getting sick and when i say sick she basically got sick with pancreatic cancer it was not good uh, my daughter just graduated from the university of mobile so she was there we were with her parents so you want to say it was a god thing god knew what was going to happen in my life he knew what was going to happen with sharing in her life. But she got sick with that. And if they say pancreatic cancer, it is a disease that will not let you live much longer. She lived one month after the diagnosis. One month. But all her family was there. All the people that she loved and all were able to come because God knew what was going on, and he moved us to Texas. Now, you're saying you're in Texas. Well, my daughter was in Texas. I was in Texas. But my mom and dad is in Alabama, and they're getting older, and they needed help. And COVID hit, and it changed the whole dynamics of every church and every situation. So I had a choice. What did God want me to do? And I've always had this desire to be bivocational and work in a church that couldn't afford someone maybe with my education and help them grow. And so the opportunity came where I could move back home. Now I'm going to tell you, it's not been I left my house to move back into a room with my parents. One room, I'm a teenager again. 
Okay, I'm experiencing the teenage life all over again. And sometimes that's not all that good, but that's what life is. But he brought me back here to help them. I've decorated my room. It even looks like a teenager's room, okay? Bed's not even made this morning. Oh, my goodness. Okay, but that's, that's here more beyond. And I'm here now. Uh, my daughter's still in Texas. She met a guy and was working in the school system. So she's in San Angelo, Texas. If you look that up, just throw a dart in the middle. There's nothing around San Angelo. So it's 100,000 people with about two hours before you get to the interstate. It's a military place that no one wants you to know about. That's why it's there, and it's got a college. So she's there. I'm here. I'm with my parents. I'm helping them. But I still needed a job. So one day I got locked out of the house before they gave me a key. Oh, man. Being locked out. You know what I did? I applied for a job. I applied to work at Bucky's. Y'all know where Bucky's is, don't you? Yeah. Everybody likes Bucky's. I probably folded your t-shirts, okay? Because I work in the gift and receiving merchandise. I am the receiver at night, third shift. I haven't been, I haven't had a nap this that morning, okay? But I work 10 to 6 and various nights. So I did that because, hey, I want to work in churches. I still want to serve and help my community. I want to help mom and dad. So what's the best thing to do? Work third shift. So that's what I do is I right now, and that's a God thing because I sit there, got my phone out, and applied. I said, well, I probably won't hear from them. A week later, they said, would you come in for an interview? Yes, I will. So first place I applied for, I got a job. I work at Bucky's. I work for the beaver. That's what I tell everybody. I work for a beaver. But the beaver treats me well. I want you to know that. So that allows me to be able to do things in churches I've n- never been able to do um, because there's always been, I've worked full-time. Now I'm bivocational or part-time or wherever God wants me to go, and I can serve. So that's how he's making my life meaningful now as I'm able to help my parents, still work in church, still do the things, and and I'm going to tell you, working for Bucky's is not that bad, okay? It's good. Now, it gives you a different perspective of things, but uh, yeah, because we're there to serve and to make your experience like a Disney experience at a gas station, okay? That is our job, okay? Well, they say it's a convenience store, but the, yes, it is an experience all in itself, so it's the Disney of, of convenience stores. But that's my life. That's my story and where I'm at and why I'm here. You have a story too. But is, I'm just telling you my story. I want to tell you someone else's story. They have a story that's my story is not original. The game plan has been there from the very beginning. And Paul has the same type of story, but maybe a little more dramatic than mine. Okay? So turn to Acts chapter 26, and we'll look at it. I will be reading out of the Christian uh, Standard Bible. And let me read the first part, because Paul has the same type of story. 
Let's read the introduction before we get into that. Because this is Paul speaking to Agrippa. It says, Agrippa said to Paul, You have, you have person to speak to yourself. Then Paul stretched out his hand and began his defense. I consider myself fortunate that it is before you, King Agrippa, I am at... I am to make my defense today against all the accusations of the Jews, especially since you are very knowledgeable about all the Jewish customs and controversies. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. Okay, we're going to listen to Paul's story patiently. But who is this guy, King Agrippa? King Agrippa was basically a gentleman who was a base he served as a governor of the Roman clients or the providence he served Rome he is basically the great grandson of Herod the Great if you're a biblical scholar you know who Herod the Great was he was the one when Jesus was born that killed all the Jewish babies and in Bethlehem. That's who he's related to. But he's the last of the great Herods. The Herod dynasty died with him. And he was ruling outside of Jerusalem. Paul was fixing to go to Rome at this point in time in his life. Uh, He was arrested uh, for going to Jerusalem. The Pharisees and all the religious leaders and Sadducees were upset with Paul because he was teaching about Jesus, and they wanted to get rid of him. And so there was a big argument at the temple while he was there. Rome came in, grabbed him, and they put him in prison and took him away, and he went to the governors. The governor he was at right now was Festus. Felix was his first one. He was in prison for a little while there in the surrounding areas. And King Agrippa came to visit uh, Festus. And Festus had no idea who and what Jewish traditions were in that land. So he had a, a King Agrippa to come and to basically give him some help with Paul. Because Paul says, I want to go to Rome for my trial. I don't want to be tried here. I want to go to Rome. I want to go before Nero, the emperor. Because if I have my trial here, the religious leaders of Jerusalem, who didn't like hearing about Jesus, wanted to get rid of him. So he says, let me go to Rome. He wanted to go to Rome anyway, but not as a prisoner. But that's God's plan. So here Festus says, hey, I need you to listen to him and tell me what I have the right to the Roman because I know I have no clue what's going on in the traditions of what of this argument. I don't know why they're upset with Paul. So Agrippa says, I'll listen to him, then I can help you write your letter. So Agrippa and his daughter Bernice, or not his daughter, but his sister was there, and they brought Paul in and they said, Hey Paul, tell my tell me tell King Agrippa your story so He will know. He's interested in it. And so what Paul did, it says in the introduction, it says, 
Okay, you want me to tell? Or he raised his hand like a one who is fixing to give his test testimony, or like a play actor then, raised to give his speech. And he's told Agrippa, listen patiently, and I will share with you my story. Okay, so here it goes. And you could see Paul's life before Christ in this. Just like my story, I had a story just like that. But Paul had one too. Paul had a very different one. He says, All the Jews, in verses 4 through 11, this is what it says, All the Jews know my way of life from my youth, which was spent from the beginning among my own people and in Jerusalem. They have known me for a long time. If they are willing to testify that according to the strict sects of our religion, I lived as a Pharisee. And now I stand on trial because of the hope in what God promises to our ancestors. The promise our twelve tribes hoped to reach as they earnestly served him night and day, King Agrippa. I'm being accused by the Jews because of this hope. Why do any of you consider it incredible that God raised from the dead? In fact, I myself was convinced that it was necessary to do anything in opposition to the name of Jesus Christ. I actually did this in Jerusalem and locked up many of the saints in prison. Since I had received authority from that of the high chief priest. When they were put to death, I was in agreement against them. In the synagogue, I often punished them and tried to make them blaspheme. Since I was terribly enraged at them, I pursued them even to foreign cities. I would say his life's a little different than most of our lives before Christ. You could can say he was a real bad boy. And in his life, you see that he grew up as a Pharisee. He says, I grew up as a religious, devout person. Who was the Pharisees? Pharisees started many, many years before Paul even thought about them. It was during a time when the climate was changing the Greeks were taking control of everything and trying to make everything completely different in the world. And that included Judaism. They wanted the Jews to become Greeks. And the Jews did not like that. So this group raised up from scribes and all because the temple was destroyed. They had house churches then. And so they grew up in the house churches and... After they rebuilt the temple that was destroyed, they call it the second temple, the house churches still met. And the scribes and all were still growing. And these Pharisees says, hold on. This group raised up saying, we don't want to be Greeks. We like our culture. We like what God's word says. We're going to follow it. And so they became very basically... Separatists is what the word Pharisee means. They separated from all the Greeks and all that, 
and they became strong. And they had oil traditions that they passed down saying, you must live. They just didn't say, clean yourself to go to the temple, but live like this each and every day. So they became the religious leaders of that day. They were the popular group. And Paul was one of them. Well, then Jesus came. And Jesus had a different story saying, hey, you've got all these oral traditions, all these things that don't make what really following God is. Like how far you can travel on going Sundays. They had that. You couldn't walk so far on a Sunday. They would probably be appalled of us because we get in our cars and drive 20, 30 minutes maybe to church. But that was a different time, different circumstances, and they were very devout about them and certain things you couldn't do. And Jesus got on to them about it. They didn't like Jesus very much. And then all of a sudden, Jesus was crucified. He died, and he rose again. And people started believing in him. And the Pharisees says, no, no way. We're going to do this. But Paul was one of them and says, no way, folks. And so what he did, he was there when the first person was ever killed for Christianity. They called his name Stephen. And he was there and he held everybody's coat while they killed him. It's a bad man, isn't it? Then he got permission from the leaders to go out and arrest those people that said they're going to follow Christ. And there were a lot of them in Jerusalem. First day Peter preached, first sermon, 3,000 people were saved. So Paul had a lot of work to say, hey, we're not going to believe in this. And he says, I'm the Pharisee of the Pharisees. I'm going after them. And you can say that his, he, he was angry with them. What they were trying to do to his religion. It was changing it up completely. He, and he got so mad about it, he got permission to go have them arrested in other cities. And he was serious about this. He was totally against, he would have come after us today. That's how bad Paul, and he would even have said, execute them, kill them for their faith. Wouldn't you say he's a bad man? That's pretty bad. Does he deserve salvation? Does he deserve to know what, who Christ is? Wow. You think about how bad he was. He was pretty bad. He would even try to get them to blaspheme God. So we see what was going on here. So what did God do to him? To change him? To make him different? Well, let's read about that. Let's read about how Paul met Christ. Nothing like mine, but this is what happened to him. I was traveling to Damascus under these circumstances with authority and commission from the chief priest, King Agrippa, while on the road at the midday, I saw a light from heaven brighter than the sun shining around me and those traveling with me, we all fell to the ground, and I heard a voice speaking to me in Arabic, saying, Saul, Saul. That was his 
name. We don't know why his name was changed to Paul. There's assumptions that when he became a Christian, God changed his name to Paul. There's other assumptions that, hey, uh, Paul is his Greek name, and he's fixing to go be missionaries all over the world. So they knowed him by Paul instead of Saul. Those are two of the big theories about it, but we're not quite sure. Depends on which book you read and that talks about this. But he says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goes. I asked him, who are you? And the Lord replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. But getting up and standing on your feet, for I have appeared to you for the purpose to anoint you as a servant and a witness of what has seen and will see of me. I will rescue you from your people and from, and from the Gentiles. I will send you to them to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive the forgiveness of sin and the sharing among those who are sanctified by faith. Wow. You may have not had an experience like Paul, but you've had some type of experience. I had a certain type of experience where I realized that I was a sinner, I needed Jesus, and I made that confession. I made it public. But Paul was a, he was a different guy. You see how the Lord got his attention. He was going to basically kill Christians. And then Jesus appeared. Jesus can make a difference in anybody's life. If he can do that for Paul, who was basically trying to destroy what Jesus came to do, he can save anybody. So when people say, hey, I don't know if I'm good enough to be saved. Yes, you are. If he can save this dude, he can save you. That's the way it is. And he will do that. And he came and he said, Saul, Saul, why are you kicking against the goads? Does anyone know what the goads were? Nope, I'm not a farmer neither. But a goes is basically when they were getting ready to farm and they had a new ox that was going to do the plowing. They didn't have our big tractors today. They had oxen. And they put that little yoke around them. Guess what that oxen wanted to do? Wanted to kick it all off. Wanted to destroy it. So to stop that young ox to do it, they'd put a little stick together. Stick a little sharp point on that stick. They'd put it down there when that... Ox inside the kick, guess what he hit? That sharp point. And what God was saying to Paul was, Hey, you're trying to destroy what I've already planted and we're going to do. You're trying to fight against me. Quit it. Why do you keep doing it? You know, because Paul said it earlier, you know the traditions, you know everything, you knew a Messiah was coming if you studied the Bible. I'm him. I am what you would call the Messiah. I was the one to come to save everybody. And I have a mission for you, Paul. I know that you've been hard on the Christians in Jerusalem. 
But I'm going to not send you there. I'm going to send you to a people that know nothing about me. I'm going to send you to what they called the Gentiles. And those were people that worshipped other gods, many gods. But I'm going to send you to them. And you're going to be that minister. And if you remember Paul when he got up from there, you read earlier in Acts, that he was blind. He had to go and a gentleman came by and told him what it meant to be saved. And that was basically, hey, turn from your sins. Believe that Jesus died and rose again for your sins. And trust Him and commit your life to Him. So, here you have that picture of how He met. It was dramatic. It wasn't like mine. Mine was, I grew up in church. Eventually I realized and made that commitment and made it public. That was all I did. Paul was like, boom! Very big difference. So, but Paul had a decision. I had a decision of how God, I'm going to allow God to make my life meaningful now. So let's look at how God made Paul's life meaningful. So then, King Agrippa, I wasn't disobedient to the heavenly vision. Instead, I preached to those in Damascus first, and those in Jerusalem, and in the region of Judea, to the Gentiles that they should repent and turn to God, do the works worthy of repentance, means believe. For this reason, the Jews seized me in the temple and were trying to kill me. To this very day, I have had help from God, and I stand to testify to both small and great, saying nothing other than what the prophets said and Moses would said would take place, that the Messiah must suffer, and that as the first raised from the dead, and he would proclaim light to the people and to the Gentiles. Wow. King Agrippa, I'm here in jail. Means not everything's going to be perfect. You're not going to walk out of the church and say, wow, my life's going to be totally different. Because guess what? Sin's still there. Sin can affect you. Sin can keep you from... And there's other people out there that are just sinful. That don't want to hear the truth. And they're going to not let you talk about the truth. And you can see that in our society today. And you're sitting there saying, well, well, guess what? That's the same thing Paul was going through. It means, in other words, sin is sin and it's been there since the beginning. And that's what was affecting him. And he says, I'm going to be faithful. I'm going to go and do and preach. Because that's what God had called me to do. And if you think about it, he traveled all over the world, the known world. He, didn't, he went from basically Jerusalem to Rome, to Spain probably. All and he was the first to take the gospel to Europe to share about Jesus. And he shared it with people who had no clue of what Judaism was and what Jews believed. 
He shared it because God loved them. That He died for them. And He, sur- and he wants you to surrender to Him. He wants to make a difference in your life. See, because I told you my story. I've shared biblically what Paul's story is like. Now, this is where it comes, where you say the rubber meets the road. This is where you have to make a choice. I can't tell the third story. I said there was three. The third story is yours. See, because you had a life before Christ. There was, you were just living your life like I was as a teenager, doing it my way. I wasn't that sinful. I feared my mama should beat me to death if I didn't do what she wanted. That was my mama. And I'm back with my mama after so many years. And if I don't do it her way, she's going to let me know about it. So, my life before Christ. What's your life before Christ? How did you meet Christ? Because some people say, I've never had that experience. I've been in church all my life. Go back and think about it. You, at one point in time, did make that decision. You may think it's always growing, but at one point in time, you realize, hey, I was a sinner. I need to confess my sins. I need to be baptized and to accept that. Because how you meet Christ is simple. I always tell the children when I was in children's ministry, A, is admit that you're a sinner and you need to repent. That's where it starts. Because we're not perfect. I always use the illustration, how many of you made hundreds in every great test you took in school? Anyone made hundreds in all your tests? means you made A pluses from all out. And how was your behavior? Was your behavior good enough? Because I'm going to tell you, I wasn't perfect. I don't think you've made perfect in school too. So we all missed the mark somewhere. And that's what God is saying. You missed the mark. You missed the mark that I set. The book of the Bible sometimes contains the laws. The laws are not to save us, but to show us what's wrong. Jesus came to save us. And that's when you have to believe. What do you believe? You believe that, hey, that Jesus, what, came, like Paul said. He lived, he died, and he rose again. That's what you believe. Because you're believing a lot. You're believing a man from, was buried and came back to life. That's what you need to believe. And then from there, you commit you confess. You choose. It's your choice. That's how you meet Jesus. You choose to follow Him. And then after that, you'll see Him. Sometimes you don't think He's with you. But He is. When, my, when I was going that, through that with my wife, you don't think He's there all the time. But He was there. He knew what was going on. He brought us there at that point in time. And he took care of me. He's taking care of me now. 
He's here because everything that I thought of and wanted, he's giving me my desires. I'm helping my parents. I've got a good job. Pays my little bills. And now I can go and serve wherever he calls me. That's what it is. So how is he making your life meaningful? So think about that. You have a story. I hopefully you make time to think about your story. As we're getting ready to close, and I'm going to ask uh, David and the pastor to come on up, and we'll have an invitation time. If you need to make any commitments at all, you can. And we'll just let the Lord 